Well, as I said, we're starting a brand new series here at Pittman Park called Celebrating Faith on Main Street, where we're going to be talking about the good things that are happening um, over in our children's and youth wing. Um, we're also going to make one last push um, to, to eliminate the debt uh, that's remaining on that building so that we can take another step uh, toward being the people that God is calling us to be. And so next week in your bulletins, you're going to see um, pledge cards. Um, some of you have already made pledges um, to help cover the cost of that renovation. And if that's you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because you believe before you ever saw (laughs) uh, what could happen. You believed in the ministry that could take place. You believed in the vision and the direction that this church was moving. So thank you. Um, If you haven't had that opportunity, we're going to give you that opportunity next week um, to either make a one-time gift or or to set up a recurring gift over time um, toward the end until until the end of the year, so that we can eliminate the rest uh, of the the debt that we owe on that building. Well, again. Today is the second week of Easter, and the second week of Easter is special um, because it it deals with one of my favorite characters in all of Scripture, and that's a guy named Thomas. How many of you know, I have heard about Thomas, right? What do you know about Thomas the disciple? He doubted. Perfect. Keep that in your mind. He doubted. Um, Thomas is a doubter. I've got a question for you. Have you ever tried to give another person advice, like, give them good advice, really try to give somebody life advice, advice that's going to make a difference because you see the direction that their life is headed. And so you say, hey, I need to say something to this person because I know where that path they're walking down leads. So you go to them and you say, listen, I've walked down the road that you're walking. I've been where you are. And I've got to tell you that you should do this, this, and this. Do this, this, and this. So that bad things don't happen. Because I know that bad things are going to happen because bad things happen to me. Have you ever been that person that gives that advice? And what happens? The person who's walking down that path, what do they do? Thank you for coming to me and telling me this advice. Meanwhile, they're walking that path, right? They're still headed the direction that they're headed. Their life is still going the direction it was headed. Before you had that conversation, you give them all this advice and with all the information about how you had to learn the hard way and they go exactly the same way that you went, the way that you warned them not to go and they end up there anyways. We learn from experience, right? All of us, we learn from experience, The problem is we don't learn from other people's experience. We learn from our own experience, right? And so sometimes in life, it doesn't matter how many people say, don't go that way. You know, you could have throngs of people, hundreds of people saying, don't go this direction. What do you do? Oh, it's going to be different for me. (laughs) Right? I'm special. It's not going to happen to me. And you walk that direction anyways, and, and you learn from experience. You learn from your mistakes, in life, you learn from the things that go well in your life. That's just the way that theme, things seem to work out is nobody can really tell you, nobody can really tell you about the way that you're headed in your life. You have to sort of experience it for yourself, just the way seem, things seem to work in our lives and, and even in our faith. I mean, a lot of times in our faith, we only learn through experience. You can sit through 101 sermons, 1,001 sermons. And it's not until you have the experience of Christ radically changing your life that anything really changes. I mean, you could have gone to church for years and years and years. Some of you, this is your story. You've been to church for years and 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 years. And you're still walking that path um, that, that, that seems like the right way to go. 
And it's not going to be until you have a personal experience of Christ in your heart and in your life that anything changes. Because we learn from experience. We all seem to learn from experience. Well, last week, uh, if you were here, we saw, uh, we read the story of how Jesus is risen from the grave and how his very first interaction with anyone as a a risen Savior, as a risen Lord, is with this woman named Mary Magdalene, um, who's there in the garden and is weeping because she thinks that somebody has stolen the body of Jesus. But Jesus calls her name in the midst of her pain and in the midst of her hurt, and all of a sudden she realizes who it is that's talking to her. Now, do you remember how that text ends in John 20? In John 20, 18, Jesus tells Mary to do something. He tells her to go back and tell his disciples that he is risen, that he is alive. And so she strikes out from the graveyard, from the tomb, back to the disciples. And so where we're picking up today is right where we left off last week. We're on the very same day of the week in John chapter 20 beginning at verse 19. So if you have your Bibles um, or you have your notes there handy, you can open them up. The verse is inside of there. If you have a phone and you want to look at at YouVersion or you want to look at BibleGateway.net, you can do that as well. But we're in John chapter 20, beginning at verse 19. Very same day of the week, okay? Are we all together on this? No time has passed, uh, or not much time has passed, since Jesus told Mary to go back and tell the disciples that he is risen, okay? So here we go. John chapter 20, verse 19. It says that when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his sign. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. It's interesting, right? Like somebody appears among them. Among the disciples, and it's not until they see his hands and his side, they realize that it's Jesus, sort of like Mary had to be called by name before she realized it was Jesus that was speaking to her. Jump back in at verse 21. Jesus said to them, again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive The sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, then they are retained. But Thomas, and if you have your Bible open or you need to make a highlight of but Thomas, because here's the problem in this text. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So you've got 11 disciples and probably some followers sealed up in the house. Jesus appears among them, but poor Thomas isn't there, right? Poor Thomas is not in the room when Jesus shows up. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord, Thomas. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it 
in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. These are written. So that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Amen. In this morning's text, Jesus, he appears to the disciples as they're still hiding out in Jerusalem. Now, um, if you've heard this story before, it sounds like the disciples are like rejoicing inside of this room. A lot of people preach this text that way. Like the disciples were happy because they had heard Mary Magdalene's report and they were sort of celebrating inside this upper room and Jesus shows up and it's a party and everybody's there and everybody's happy. That is not the case, okay? Um, What does the text say? It says that the disciples are upstairs in the room, right? And the doors are locked and the windows are barred and everybody, the whole world is shut out. Why is it like that? Why are they hidden? Why are they hiding themselves? It's because they're afraid that the Pharisees and the Roman civil authorities are coming to do the very same thing to them as they did to Jesus. They're afraid they're going to be crucified. And Jesus, he shows up in the middle of this sort of, uh, this, this hiding this moment of extreme stress and chaos in their lives. And Jesus says, Jesus says, peace be with you. As they're waiting for the very worst to happen, certain that the very worst is going to happen, Jesus appears and he says, peace be with you. Now, that's a strange thing for Jesus to say. How are these guys going to have peace if they're on the lamb, if they're running from religious and civil authorities? But like always, Jesus doesn't come into the disciples' hardships and pain with a smile and a nice word. Jesus always does more than that. Jesus comes to them in the midst of all of this stress and all this chaos that's going on in their world. And he brings them a word of peace, but he also gives them hope and encouragement. Jesus empowers them to live as his disciples, even in the midst of all the stuff that's going on in the world. Peace be with you, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Jesus shows up in that room and he gives the disciples the courage and the strength and the encouragement that they need in order to live as his disciples in the room. If you want to know when the party starts, that's when the party starts for the disciples. That's when everything changes because the Savior that they had hoped for, the Messiah that they had believed in, is good for his word. And so they're excited when Thomas, who's been out doing, you know, we don't know what Thomas was doing. Maybe he was sneaking around the city trying to find out where the, the Pharisees and the Roman authorities were. Maybe he was out trying to sell a goat or something. We don't know what Thomas is up to out in the city, but he's just not there in the room when Jesus appears. And so he gets back and, and the disciples are sort of quietly celebrating inside of this barred and, and locked room. And he's like, what's the fuss about? And they say, oh, we've seen Jesus. He's alive. He's risen from the dead. And, 
And, and Thomas says, Thomas says no. Now think about why Thomas might say no. We're going to speculate here for a second. Most of these disciples, what was their previous occupation? They were fishermen. How many of you have hung out with fishermen for very long? Right? I grew up on the coast. I hung out with fishermen a bunch. If you hang out with fishermen for a little while, or hunters for that matter, if you hang out with hunters, it's amazing what happens when they start to tell stories. Um, if they caught a fish that was this size, right? How, long, how big is that fish when they get home? Uh, oh, it was, it was at least this big, right? Yeah. And a couple days later when they're around their buddies and they're like, hey, guess what I caught? It's this big. And, and you go a couple months and, and they're like, hey, you remember that record-setting shark, that 805-pound shark that was caught? That was me sitting on its back. And you're like, I know that wasn't you. I've seen that picture. That's not, you're not on the back of that shark. No, that was me. That was me. I caught this huge shark, right? Fishermen and hunters stretch the truth. I love, I love what my mom says um, about the times that my dad goes out to the hunting club. He says, all they do is go out there and sit around and tell lies. <laughs> Thomas knows these guys. And he's like, listen, I, I love you all, <laughs> but I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to believe until I can put my hands in his hands and my hand in his side. I'm not going to believe until I see it for myself. Remember we said earlier that it's experience that teaches us the most. We have to learn from experience. Thomas doesn't want to take take it on the disciples' word that Christ is alive. He wants to see for himself. He wants to see it for himself. And so days go by, and a week goes by, and what happens? Jesus meets Thomas. Jesus meets Thomas in his doubt. Jesus meets him with all of his questions. And he delivers the very same message to him that he did to the disciples. Peace. Peace be with you. Peace be with you in the midst of the turmoil of your life. Peace be with you in the midst of the chaos. Peace be with you. And Thomas makes this beautiful declaration. He falls down before Jesus. He says, my Lord and my God. I asked you earlier who Thomas is. And and you all said he's doubting Thomas, right? We all know Thomas is doubting Thomas. But Thomas actually becomes faithful Thomas. Thomas, his life is set on fire in that room that day. And do you know where Thomas goes? Thomas goes to Iraq, present-day Iraq, and begins building Christian communities in Iraq. And he leaves Iraq. Do you know where he goes next? He goes down into India. And he begins on the western coast of India and treks all the way across to the eastern coast of India, doing what? Spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. In AD 72, Thomas, the doubter, is speared in the side, just like his Savior was. And Thomas dies in India. 
Now, here's an interesting thing. Thomas is one man, and he he traveled from place to place in much the same manner that Paul would have traveled to sort of build Christian communities. He travels from place to place doing that, and he makes his way all the way from Iraq down to uh, India and uh, across to the other side of India, the eastern half of India. And when the Portuguese arrive in the 1700s, do you know what they find is going on in India? That there are Christians already there, worshiping Jesus Christ. That, the Christ, that Christianity is, do, is alive and, and is doing well in a place that they never expected to find anyone who believed. Sometimes seeing is believing. You know, when I first came to Pittman Park, um, we have this process when you move from church to church and one of the things that you do um, in, in, early, in late April and early May is, is you get to tour the church that you're headed to. And I toured uh, Pittman Park, and as I was walking around through the office, um, if you notice that desk out there in the hallway, that used to be in our office. That great big desk used to be in our little tiny office, and it sort of dominated the whole room. And there were two chairs in the office, sort of where the two chairs in our main office are right now. Um, and beside those two chairs, leaned up against the wall, kind of behind the chairs, was this set of blueprints um, they were on the, the um, styrofoam stuff, and they were sort of laid out on there. And, and they weren't really blueprints. Um, they were like copies of blueprints, and there was like magic marker on there. Um, and I asked the guy that was giving me the tour around the building, I said, you know, what, what's, what's up with those sketches over there? Uh, he says, oh, that's the renovation we're planning. I said, really, a renovation? I mean, this, is, this was 2010. Really, a renovation? You're going to renovate the church? And he's like, yeah, <laughs> No. <laughs> No, I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe that we're renovating the church whenever contractor trucks show up and people start knocking down walls and and people start moving furniture. That's when I'll believe that we're actually going to do this thing. I was here for about a year and a half before, guess what happened? Contractor trucks rolled up. And men and women got out, started knocking down walls to make this vision that was just sort of a a grand idea on paper a reality. And immediately that interaction came to mind. I won't believe it. I won't believe that we'd ever do anything like that until I see it happen. Sometimes we have to see things in order to believe them. You can write that down this morning. Sometimes you have to see it in order to believe it. That's where Thomas is. Thomas has to see it in order to believe it. He has to put his hands inside the nail marks in Jesus' hand and his finger in his side. You can look at Caravaggio's painting of this. It's beautiful of, of Thomas sort of peering into the side of Jesus. Sometimes you have to believe it in order to see it. But I want to actually tell you that faith, faith actually looks at things a different way. Faith, that, faith says that sometimes you have to believe it before you can see it. Sometimes you have to believe long before you ever see what God's future looks like for your own life and and for others and even for the church. Sometimes we have to believe that God is active and doing something even when we can't see with our own eyes what it is that God is up to right now. When we started the renovation of our children's and youth wing, we were in the middle of the Great Recession, right? People said, this is not a good time to build. This is not a good time to fundraise. This is not a good time to do anything. 
But there were a group of people here that said, you know what? We believe that this is God's vision for our future. So long before they ever saw it, they believed in it. That sounds a lot like the story of this church as a whole. Long before anybody could see a church planted across from Georgia Southern University, long before, long before anybody could understand why you would do that, a group of people at First Methodist believed that it was time to do something incredible for the kingdom of God and to leave the congregation they were already a part of and strike out on a new adventure. You and I are the beneficiaries of the fact that they saw God's future long before, or excuse me, believed in God's future long before they ever saw the fruits of their work and their labor. Their story is our story. Sometimes we have to believe long before we ever see. In fact, I would suggest to you, and that's exactly how faith works. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. The writer of Hebrews says that this is exactly what faith is. Faith is the assurance It's the certainty in our hearts and the certainty in our minds of things that are hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, the conviction of things not seen. That's the sort of faith that we live that can bring bring things into reality that seem impossible. We serve a Savior who takes fishermen and tax collectors prostitutes and sinners and turns them into church planners and saints. We serve a Savior, a God, who makes the impossible possible and asks us to believe before we see. That's how John ends this chapter of his gospel. He says to us, these things are written. These things are written in this gospel, in this book. So that those who hear them may come to believe. And through their belief, inherit life through him, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. This morning... We are invited to believe before we see. I don't know with certainty what God's future looks like for Pittman Park. But I know if we put our trust and our hope in the one who sends us out into the world in his name, that he will make incredible things possible for us as his people, for the city for that campus, for people that we know and people that we may never know. If only we would choose to believe before we see. Would you pray with me this morning?